0: We have honored those who gave their lives in service to our country by submitting to the military authorities charged with the responsibility of keeping us safe. And while everyone does recognize that submission to authority is essential in the military, not everyone acknowledges that submission is required of us all. We've come to a very practical and yet hard to accept section in our study of First Peter. We've come to the topic of submission. And this is hard because no one really wants to submit. We all want to exercise our rights and, if need be, fight for our rights. Our country was founded on certain unalienable rights. And as a people, we believe in basic human rights, yet central to Christianity, is the concept that when we accept Jesus as Lord, we give up. Our personal rights. We die to self and commit ourselves to living only for Him. Now that sounds good uh, theologically, but it's hard to accept practically. Well, Peter is going to get very practical. He has just urged us to abstain from fleshly lusts and to keep our behavior excellent among unbelievers so they may observe our good deeds and hopefully be led to faith in Christ. And as Peter continues, it becomes obvious that a primary lust of the flesh is a desire to have our own way. To insist on our rights. And so Peter attacks that lust head-on by demanding that we practice submission. Rather than insisting on our own rights, he wants us to do what is right. That which will result in men and women being drawn to our Lord... Even if that means yielding personal rights or suffering injustice for Christ's sake. And he hits us where we live. He applies the principle of submission to our primary relationships in government, the workplace, and the home. He commands us to practice submission to the king, the master, And the bridegroom. This morning we're going to look at submission to the king. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether to a king as the one in authority. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. The heart of Peter's word to us concerning our obligation to the government is quite simply, submit. In fact, we are commanded to submit to all civil authorities. He said, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, And praise of those who do right. Now, if you have a problem with the word command, you probably have a problem with submission in general. But the Ten Commandments weren't ten suggestions. And Peter isn't merely suggesting that we submit. He is ordering us to do so. And Peter's not alone in this. Paul had this to say in Romans thirteen one through 7. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Hard teaching here. Submission to the governing authorities is not optional. It's commanded. If we refuse to submit, we are refusing to obey the authority behind the authorities. Now, it is true that when this was written, Christians were living under an authoritarian type of government. And the only option was to submit or rebel. Fortunately, We live in a democratic form of government and have the privilege of helping to shape the laws that govern us. But even in a democratic republic, once the laws are made and officials selected, our primary obligation is to submit to those laws and officials. Now, we do have on occasion the opportunity to utilize due process, to change a law, or remove an official. But if that's not done, we are obligated to submit. And our submission is to be expressed to every official, from the king or president right down to the local magistrate and police officer. We are to submit to federal laws and to local ordinances. And do notice that there is no mention of the character of the one in authority. Apparently, the character of the civil authority makes no difference. It doesn't matter if our politicians are corrupt or immoral or unjust. Their character is not our concern, not once they are in office. And if they are in a position of authority over us, we are to submit to them. Now, don't forget, it was Nero who was on the throne when Peter wrote this. And it doesn't matter whether a law is fair and equitable or not. With one exception, which we'll explore in a moment. We are to obey the law. There is no allowance for civil disobedience. As a Christian, we are called to civil obedience. It's not our prerogative to judge a law and then decide whether or not it merits our obedience. We are commanded by God to obey the law. And taking civil disobedience a step further, revolution is not authorized by God. The Israelites were freed from Egyptian bondage by God himself, but nowhere in the Bible are we given permission to revolt against a government. Revelation in itself is an illegal act perpetrated Against the civil authorities. It would be impossible to submit to the king and also revolt against him. Now, recognizing that our country began with a revolutionary war, we tend to assume that the end justifies the means. But in doing so, we overlook the terrible forces revolution sets in motion. And even though we historically view America as a God-fearing nation, historians tell us that the period right after the revolution was the darkest period spiritually and morally in the history of American Christianity. One author from the period wrote, We are fast becoming a nation of drunkards. We could ascertain that there are 300,000 drunkards in our land and that from 10 to 20,000 were annually assigned to drunkards' graves. Piety seems to be flying out of our land. Religion declined. Morality extinguished. Vice grew bold, profaneness, reveling, dishonesty and sinful amusements greatly increased. Universalism, infidelity, atheism, scoffing at all serious godliness, contempt for the holy Sabbath, deflections from public worship, omission of family religion and disregard of divine ordinance have spread in a degree which calls for tears of grief, threatening in progress to waste all the valuable interests of society. To a large degree, that behavior resulted from the attitude of revolution that prevailed at the time. You know, if something oppresses you or limits your liberty, just throw it off. That were carried to its extreme, you would find men throwing off all laws. Because any law limits the individual's liberty for the sake of society. And if you throw off all laws, you have anarchy, no government. And without some form of government, there can be no order or justice at all in a society. The Bible teaches that God is the author of civil governments and that their authority is given to them by him because he recognizes the need for some type of law and order among sinful, rebellious men. Any government, therefore, is better than no government. And since God ordains the powers that be, if he determines a government can no longer serve his purposes, he will take care of the matter. It's not our call to make. Our only response is to be in submission to the authorities. But what if we don't want to admit? We don't want to submit. What if... What if uh, I don't will to do it? Why should I? The answer should be obvious, but Peter spells it out anyway. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is God's will that we submit What the authorities are doing may not be right, and what they propose to do to us and our freedoms may not be just, and we may not want to do what they say, but it is God's will that we submit. When faced with the injustice of the civil authorities of his day, even Jesus said, yet not my will but thine be done. Surely he didn't want to surrender, to submit to the guards when they came for him in the garden. It was God's will, and therefore he did so. Indeed, as Christians, our will must always be submissive to God's revealed will. If his will has been revealed in a particular area, we are obligated to follow it. We have no choice in the matter. Peter even explains why it is God's will that we submit. Now, obviously, God doesn't have to explain his reasons. A simple, because I said so, would suffice. But he does try to let us understand his reasons if they are within our grasp. And I might add, that's a good principle for parents to remember. Anyway, God wants us to submit to civil authorities because in any given civilization, that is generally considered the right thing to do. And God wants us to do right in the eyes of society so far as it is possible. Society in general tends to wonder about the church and is suspect of Christians anyway, so we're not to give them legitimate reason to think evil of us and view us as evildoers because we break society's laws. Now, as I mentioned, there is one exception to this rule, and it is when a society attempts to force us to do something that God says we can't or tries to prevent us from doing something God says we must. Do understand, however, that it is only when there is a direct confrontation between God's revealed will and the civil authorities that we are to disobey. We're not to disobey because we think a law is unchristian or unjust. We are to disobey only when a law directly contradicts and would therefore force us to disobey an expressed command of God. Only then are we to disobey, as the apostles had to do when ordered not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. He had commissioned them to speak on his behalf. And they had to obey God rather than man. But even then, even when we must disobey a civil authority, we must be submissive to their authority and to their right to punish us. When the apostles refused to obey, they acknowledged the authority's right to judge them for it they said whether it is right in the sight of god to give heed to you rather than to god you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard when they went back on the streets and began preaching openly they were thrown into prison And they submitted to imprisonment because they knew government has the right to punish those who disobey the law. They didn't incite rebellion and encourage Christians to break down the prison walls. If God wanted them out, he would take care of it. And he did. By means of an earthquake and angels. He didn't need his people to revolt. He only needed them to obey and to follow his will. But what a freedom. Jesus said he would make us free. Aren't we free to choose our own course of action? Aren't we given the freedom to do what we think is right? Peter's answer is no. Act as freemen, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. We are to act as freemen. We're not forced to do God's will. But we must recognize the fact that our freedom is actually limited to making only one choice. And our only choice is whether or not to become God's bond slave. Our only choice is to serve God or reject Him. And it's only because of Jesus that we have that choice. Until He broke the bondage of sin and death that was held us in bondage, we had no choice. We were slaves to sin because sin had cut us off from the power of God, and we were helpless to overcome sin's grasp on us. But now through Christ, we've been freed from sin's bondage, but freed only to serve God. Paul makes it clear in Romans that no man is free to do his own thing. We're only free to choose who we will obey. We can do what God wants, or we can do what the devil wants. There is no neutral middle ground. Everything we do is service either to God and for his glory, or service to Satan and for his glory. Bob Dylan had it right. In the song, got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. No activity. No activity is morally neutral. It's either in service to God or the devil. We are either slaves of sin resulting in death or slaves of obedience resulting in righteousness. So, yes, we are free. We have been freed from sin by Jesus. But our freedom is not license to do what we please. Our freedom is not a covering for evil it only frees us to become bond slaves of god well if i have to submit can i at least tell the authorities what i think can i express my disagreement can i state my conviction that something is unjust or unfair or immoral of course As long as they allow it. And it's done in a way that recognizes their authority to pass or enforce laws with which you do not agree. And as long as you do so in a way that honors their position. Peter concludes this passage by saying... Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The apostle Paul lost his cool one day when the high priest ordered him struck in the mouth, and Paul called him a whitewashed wall. Now, that may not sound too bad to us, but it shocked The bystanders. And they questioned him saying, do you revile God's high priest? Apparently, Paul didn't recognize that the man who had ordered him struck was the high priest. And he immediately apologized. Quoting from Exodus 22. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. We may not like the ruler or the law he's enforcing, but we must honor his position and be respectful to him. Obviously, that is something that has been forgotten in our society today. I think Peter makes it clear. That we don't have to love the one in authority over us like a brother. And we're not to fear or reverence him like God. But we must honor him. We must honor the king because God has established his authority. And we submit to him because God has told us. To do so. The real question therefore is quite simply this. Have you submitted. To King Jesus. Have you surrendered your all. To him. If you haven't you'll never understand submission. Because it goes against. Our fallen. Unredeemed. Nature. The key to submission is surrender to the lordship of Christ. And it is to that that we are called.